very few non-spacers appreciate gravity, understand what happens when gravity is gone, the long-term effects of lack of gravity on the human body. These things are always running through a spacer's mind, especially if they live somewhere like a space station that does not have any more gravity. This ability to harness and manipulate gravity is the primary reason humanity was able to expand throughout the forge and live on space stations and spend extended periods of time aboard spaceships. Gravity is the reason why humanity was able to become a spacefaring culture. Overcoming muscle atrophy, the weakening of bones, the disorientation that comes with long-term weightlessness. Humans need gravity. Mentally and physically, humans start to break down without it. These strange thoughts enter into Nikora's mind as we see the episode fade in with this dizzying sickness of the second chance tumbling through space with this blood-red planet that is arced with lightning. Well, lightning's not the right word, but this strange chaotic energy crackling in the background as it spins end over end sickeningly. Back inside of the spaceship, Nikora sits in his captain chair, being restrained barely by the straps of the seat itself. He's barely breathing, barely moving, trying to preserve whatever oxygen is left in both his and Petra's suits and what little remains in the spaceship itself. The only thing he does from time to time, every 10 minutes or so, is take a reading off of the spacesuit itself and jot down some notes, keeping track of the current oxygen usage. Every time he does, a little more time passes between the next time he checks it, and through the visor of the spacesuit he's currently wearing, there's a vacancy to his look, an emptiness. It's been a long time since he's been truly alone. He misses Chance. He misses Zari. And even though she has been unreliable, he misses Petra. He is truly alone for the first time in a long time aboard the spaceship, without anything to keep him busy besides looking out the front of the ship at the spinning, tumbling planet. Gravity. Gravity is so important to a spacer, and the rest of the Forge doesn't even know or care, simply taking it for granted as they live out their daily lives planet-side. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome back to One Guy, One Roll, the solo role-playing podcast, where I, your host, player, and GM Hero Cities, play role-playing games for your listening pleasure. Episode 19. We are nearly at our 20th episode. I guess this is our 21st episode if you include the session zeros, but no one really does that. Ever since getting off the prosperity and really getting into the meat and potatoes of the campaign where you're flying around, making discoveries, and doing some cool stuff like that, really makes me see why Iron Sworn Starforge is as popular as it is. This is really fun. You never know what's going to happen, especially if you just live with what the dice give you, which is the entire premise of one guy, one role. Last episode was really fun 
produced. I like the combat system of Ironsworn Starforged. It allows you to kind of use fiction to guide it instead of D&D where, you know, you're basically playing a miniaturized war game with grid-based combat, which is fun too. I like it. But this, for a solo production, really allows you to just make a dice roll and narrate what happens based upon the dice roll. Last episode, we fought against the strange, translucent, two-armed octopus-like creature that somehow got on board the second chance from that chaotic electrical energy stream that washed over the ship, took out Chance, our VI, and left us drifting aimlessly around this planet known as Effigy. This planet, something's happened or something changed in relation to the normal way that reality works, and it's now crackling with this chaotic lowercase c energy that warps things and twists things, and it's generally a pretty negative thing to encounter when you're out in the forge. Now, due to some good dice rolls and Petra finding an industrial-grade cutting torch that Nikora uses when he engages in scavenging operations in order to cut through halls of ships and otherwise gain access into places he might not otherwise without some sort of big backpack-mounted industrial cutting torch, Petra was able to adjust the tip of the flame in order to make it into a little flamethrower that shoots like a three-foot gout of flame like an improvised flamethrower. Between this improvised tool and Nikora's stubby little space shotgun named Stubbs, the two of them were able to defeat this creature which functionally just vanished or evaporated back into whatever chaotic energies it came from. However, this creature was trying to feed off the energy of the ship, including the little light mounted on Nikora's shoulder and even their life energy itself. Episode 18 came to a close with Nikora and Petra agreeing that one of them would have to be put into functionally a medical coma in order to reduce their respiration because they were just going to be short of oxygen in order to make their way to the dark side of the planet Effigy, where apparently, according to a navigation buoy that has been infused with a message, if they got to the dark side of the planet, The chaotic energies are either limited or less powerful, and perhaps they can get the spaceship restarted and continue on their journey. That being said, Nakor convinced Petra that she should be the one to be put into the coma, and she only did so after Nakor promised that he will help to retrieve her sister from her family. According to Petra, things have not been so great at her noble house. So instead of swearing an entirely new iron vow to Petra, we, I just functionally made a small little tweak to the current iron vow we had to take the AI and return it back to her noble house so it can have judgment passed on it. Now, there seems to be some sort of conflict within Petra herself over the nature of her noble house and whether she trusts them or not because she both wants to extract her sister from the noble house and return this AI that's down in the hold of the ship back to the house to pass judgment. It's a little contradictory, but we'll figure out why that is when we get there. 
So, as a quick overview of our current situation, Nakora's not looking very good. We got two health, two spirit, zero supply. We are currently unprepared. However, our ship itself has still has four hall points. Petra's asleep. Chance is deactivated, possibly destroyed. Uh, the AI, Subject Alpha, is down in the hold, powered down. Something got damaged when they were removing it from the Prosperity, and we still haven't had time to even look into that. So things are looking a little dire right now aboard the Second Chance. I can't wait to play and see what happens. So without further ado, let's get into it. Before we get started, I've been kind of neglecting or forgetting about Chaos Factor and the myth, some of the aspects of the Mythic GM emulator besides just the Fate chart itself. So I do think due to the nature of the last episode, our Chaos rating does go up to 6. They were definitely have not been in control this entire time. I still think it's part of the same scene, since we are still stuck around this planet known as Effigy. Before we get started, I think that we need to find out whether or not Nakora has successfully calculated the amount of oxygen they need to travel at the rate they're going towards the dark side of the planet. So we're simply just going to make a secure advantage move here with, well, there's only one. It has to be with wits because of um, expertise involved in calculating this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, for expertise, uh, our wits is three. So we rolled a five plus three is eight. We rolled a 10 and a six. So we start off with a weak hit. On a weak hit, uh, you choose one, either plus one momentum or plus two on your next move. I'll take the plus two momentum, bringing us up to seven. So, Nakora scratching away on his little pad, staring out at the dizzying spectacle of this planet tumbling end over end. As the seconds turn into minutes, and the minutes turn into hours, Nakora's calculations show that it's going to be close. He thinks we're going to have enough oxygen to make it there as long as he can successfully either extract the oxygen from Petra's suit or switch out the tanks. However, if for some reason he cannot get the ship restarted or Petra wakes up from her coma early, there won't be enough oxygen for the two of them. Not even a chance. Right now, with her respiration slowed so much, she'll be the last one to die if they run out of oxygen right now. But death is still death, whether you're first or last. So, I think this is a face danger roll. He needs to be do this with speed. The tank's got to be switched out. That's what he's going to try and do. With the very thin, small amount of air that's left in the ship itself, there's a chance that he won't instantly pass out. And I think it's not super simple to just switch the tanks I guess a better question is, does he need to switch the tanks, or can he strip out of his suit and get into Petra's? I'm not really sure, so I think just going to call it 50-50. Does he need to switch the tanks, or can he get into Petra's suit? 81. So, the question was, uh, does can he switch? No. So, I think it's not a matter of it not fitting properly or anything like that, but it would just take too long to strip off his own suit, put on Petra's suit. I think it's a lengthy process that he just simply wouldn't have the time to do. So the safest option is just to disconnect the tank from Petra's suit and reattach it to his suit. So this is going to be face danger with speed, mobility, or agility. 
uh, which for us is a plus two. We rolled a seven and a four on our challenge dice and a three, so five, so a weak hit. You succeed, but not without a cost. Make a suffer move. So, Nakora has Petra's suit in his hands. I think he's probably working down in the kitchen area on the second floor. And Petra's on the kind of dingy-looking space couch that wraps around this table. Think like, uh, kind of like the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. This, this table is a little bit bigger than in there, but that same kind of dingy, dirty, old, raggedy couch, but like a space couch. She's laid out on there. Just barely moving up and down a couple times a minute. Nakora takes this suit, puts it on the table, looks over at Petra, sleeping, well, unconscious, and he mumbles to himself, Well, wish me luck. At least if this doesn't go well, you ain't gonna be able to yell at me. Here goes nothing. And he starts the process of extracting the tank from Petra's suit in order to install it into his own suit. And he gets about halfway through when he realizes, oh shit, this won't be that simple. The actual air tank is built into his suit. It's not as simple as just snapping one off and snapping one back on because he's wearing the suit. How is he going to get the air tank installed on the suit without someone to help him? He ends up with an idea that perhaps he will just have to remove the upper portion of the suit, which I think is probably the easier portion to get into. I think it's kind of modular. The whole lower portion's one unit where you kind of slide into these boots with attached to this lower portion with the pants and whatnot. However, the upper portion, I think the gloves, and uh, they attach onto this chest piece, basically, that envelops your body in the middle. So he's able to, and I think they actually seal as well, like, uh, so you can have your hands free if needed. And there's like a sealer that seals around your wrist. So he can remove his gloves and start to work. And he gets Petra's tank off and then begins the hard part. Starts off by taking a couple big gulps of air. Reaches up and undoes the seal at his neck after turning off his own air. And there's a hiss as the oxygen's escaping out. And he removes the helmet and starts to work as quickly as he can to get off this chest piece that he's wearing and to switch out these tanks while holding his breath. Of course, it takes longer than two two or three minutes, so eventually he has to let out this breath and breathes in the stale, thin air aboard the ship itself. He's doing okay, but this is a very stressful situation. So his suffer move is going to be taking a hit to spirit, which drops down to one. And we simply don't have the will or the time to try and resist this, so we're going to take it. The look of utter determination on his face, Nakora attempts to not breathe hard while doing this procedure in order to maintain what little oxygen there is left aboard the ship for Petra, but can only do so much. The stress of the situation is clearly weighing on him, his face scrunched up. A thin bead of sweat rolls down his forehead, but he manages to switch out the tanks, don the suit, and crisis is averted. With one last look at the sleeping form of the woman on the couch, Nakora kind of shrugs to himself, ascends back up the ladder to the flight deck, and awaits his two-hour sit as he waits for this spinning, uncontrolled journey to the dark side of the planet to finish. By the time the second chance reaches this dark side of the planet, things look a little differently outside. Nakora can see out the spinning, tumbling view out front of the ship that once this dark side of the planet reaches, you can see this 
torment of chaotic energy roiling around the edges of this darkened area, the shadow of night on the planet. And it almost looks like if you've uh, seen pictures of a corona on the sun during a total solar eclipse or anything like that, that's exactly what it looks like. But it's blue and and this almost looks like electricity, but it's clearly not because it moves in this weird, almost organic way, like tendrils of energy instead of like the erratic nature of lightning. However, once over on the dark side of the planet, these tendrils of energy, these tentacles, a couple of them do manage to penetrate through into the dark side, but whatever energy or whatever is powering this chaotic force doesn't seem to be able to sustain itself. And once more of this dark side of the planet comes into view, the true nature of this planet is revealed to Nakora. Now that there's no longer these uh, tendrils obscuring the surface of the planet, looking down below at it, Nakora can clearly see a large glowing red sea of magma, these multitudes of seas of magma all, all interspersed and connected with each other from what one can only assume some sort of extensive volcanic activity on the planet's surface down below. But on the dark side, it glows this vibrant, orangish-reddish that is so bright from just these seas of magma themselves that it illuminates Nakora's face with this sinister red glow. Now, the power has been completely drained from the ship, so there's no just pushing the on button and things are going to roll to life. Is there some kind of backup system built aboard spaceships for generating your own power, whether it's like a gas turbine generator or something like that? I I really don't think there's anything built into the ship itself, but let's call it, uh, I think it's very unlikely. 52, no. So there's nothing that is built into the ship itself. That being said, Nakora is nothing if not somewhat crafty and able to find his way out of a bad spot like this. So I think it's entirely possible that, oh yeah, we have the uh, skiff down in the cargo hold. Is that box the skiff is in sufficiently insulated or is this, well, since the skiff was powered down, does it still have a charge left since it wasn't actively producing energy? Perhaps it was isolated from this wave of energy that washed over the ship. I think that's actually fairly likely, so we're going to call it very likely. 28. Not a strong yes, but it is still a yes. So the skiff should be sufficiently shielded and uh, protected and still have some energy left in it. Just as Nakora comes to this conclusion that perhaps Fatty could be used to restart the systems aboard the Second Chance, a familiar friend returns to his vision, a little red flashing light. Just at the edge of his vision, pulsating on and off and on and off, slowly telling Nikora he is starting to run out of O2 in the suit. And seeing that little light flashing definitely kicks his ass into gear. Gets up, still attempting to conserve his oxygen, slowly moves down the ladder, the heavy magnetic boots of the suit clanking down each and every step. 
getting back into the mess area, the dining area, he sees Petro once again, strapped down on the couch, peacefully, slowly breathing, and he wonders for a moment if he should wake her up. She's been incredibly resourceful and useful so far, and it's entirely likely that she would be able to assist him in jerry-rigging Fatty to the second chance itself in order to restart the system. But given that he has no real way to measure the air in the actual ship itself at the moment, and the fact that when he did remove the suits, the air was already really stale and thin, like being up on top of a mountain many thousands of feet high, he decides against it and continues down the ladder into the lower portion where, with the little, well, his light's broken. He doesn't have a shoulder-mounted light anymore. What is he using for illumination? Does he have anything, or is he blind in the darkness? What's the chance that Nakora has some actual functioning secondary light mechanism that he can use to see? Like a flashlight, like a space flashlight or whatever. I mean, it's Nakora, and we've already seen the level of care he gives about the ship and the fact that we are out of supply. We're just going to lead this up to an unlikely fate chance. 29, we made it by six points. So, yes, there is probably down here in the lower section of the ship where the spacesuits live and some mining junk and not mining, but scavenging junk and where the um, airlocks are to both access the box and out the front of the ship where they would have been docked up to the Prosperity, for example. So, fumbling around in the darkness, Nakora searches around for an uncomfortable amount of time as this blinking red light flashes at him insistently in the corner of his vision. Despite this distraction, he is able to, luckily, just groping around in the darkness, feels this cylindrical object amongst this pile of debris and miscellaneous crap that he has stored down here grabs a hold of it, and sure enough, space flashlight. Thumbing on the power for the unit, Nakora realizes that there used to be red glowing lights down here. However, it even appears as though the ship is running out of emergency backup power to power these lights. This thing really has just been completely crippled by this energy storm. And with this narrow beam from the flashlight ahead of him, not at all like a creepy dead space video game where you have this, this little beam of light and you're sweeping it through the corridor. Nakora approaches the rearward facing airlock, which leads into the box, and typing in his code, the door opens. And with his flashlight in hand, Nakora, still nervous about the encounter earlier with the chaos jellyfish thing, very carefully takes this flashlight and shines it around the interior of the box where he doesn't see anything. Feeling confident that he's now alone down here, he lowers the flashlight from the various corners of the room into the box where it is even more a disorganized mess in here than even in the mess or that lower section of the ship. It's just random bits of crap everywhere, some worthless scavenged bits in one corner. And near the center of the room, there's uh, Subject Alpha, the brain just floating in its jar, strapped down to the floor and screen completely blank. 
indicating nothing going on. And at the very far back end of the box, where uh, the back end of it can open up like a Connex box, uh, like a shipping container, except it folds flat downward like a ramp. Think kind of like the Firefly, uh, Serenity on Firefly, that kind of ramp, but more like a shipping container on the inside. But remember, it's much bigger than one of these. Parked along the back is something we haven't seen yet. It is this, well, currently unpowered, so it's sitting actually on the ground, but it's a grav skiff. Basically, it's a uh, flatbed hover vehicle that has been uh, about the size of one of those big-ass tow trucks. And it's probably a little bit fatter in the back, like where the the bed would be on a tow truck. Uh, So you can put a bunch of crap in there and then mounted rearward facing just behind where I think it has room for two people to sit up front is this uh, currently lowered claw arm. It's like if you've ever seen a logging truck that uses the maybe it's not the truck per se, but the like logging vehicle with the big claw clamper. That's kind of what it is, and it's used for, I guess you could kind of use it maybe to tear stuff apart, but it's primarily used to just pick crap up and put it in the back of the skiff. Making his way past these piles of of scrap metal and other worthless stuff, including probably garbage, it's where Nakora more than likely tosses most of the garbage, and it would probably smell pretty bad in here, but... With the spacesuit on, he notices none of that. Taking a couple random pieces of debris that are just scattered across Fatty, he begins to come up with a plan. Now, it might be a crazy plan, and there's really only one chance of it ever working because it might straight up fry the little skiff. Nakora gets to work. He is severely limited on time. Now, we're going to take a moment here to use observation, and he's going to look at the skiff and try to find some way to connect this thing or remove the battery or whatever powers this little skiff in order to try and get it connected to the second chance itself because due to the nature of the way the ship's designed, the engine room and actually the primary maintenance area of the ship itself connects via this long, narrow corridor to the mess area of the ship. And it actually runs on this connector, this connecting corridor, over the top of where the box is, where he is now, and to the rear of the ship where the engines are mounted and where all of the maintenance can be done on the ship and where the primary reactor core is of the ship. It's designed this way so when the ship needs to pick up a box in order to haul it, Remember, it's a space trucking ship. It can come down with its clamps open, and it actually settles on top of the box. These big old box clamps, I think, is probably honestly what they're called. Clamp down along the edge of this um, container. The whole uh, ship can just lift off the ground, and away it goes with its cargo. So, down in the box, it doesn't connect with the rest of the ship. It's its own self-contained unit. The only way in is through the airlock, and then you have to go up the stairs, up the ladder, sorry, which then gets you into the mess area, and from there, you can walk down the corridor to the rear of the ship. So I think that the plan Nikor's come up with is if he is able to remove the power source from the skiff here and return it to the maintenance section of the ship, theoretically, it should be able to be restarted. I think this is a secure and advantage role to start with. See if he can get an advantage on removing this power source, if it's even going to be possible. So this will be with wits plus three.
Sweet. We rolled a three on our action dice, which is a six. And on our challenge dice, a one and a three, which means strong hit. We take plus two momentum, bringing us up to our current maximum of plus nine. And we get a plus one on the next roll, which is super important. So I don't think there's really an issue with Nakora removing this power source for the skiff and checking it, maybe like flips on the lights or something and they come on. No problem. This thing was shielded either by the box itself from the energy or just since it was completely removed and turned off, it just was not affected. So taking a moment here, he comes up with an idea. Currently, there's no gravity is not an issue. So once this battery, this power source, I think it's big and chonky and really heavy, is removed from the skiff, it will not be a problem to just kind of push it along with him as he goes. However, there's still the chance, likely even one might say, that just simply won't be able to interface with the ship itself or it'll fry the battery and the skiff will functionally be unusable. And since we did get a strong hit, I have no problem with us not doing damage to the skiff removing the battery, which was going to be my failure scenario, would be damaging the skiff. But it's fine. Just remove this. I think it's like a power cell would make the most sense. It's like this probably rectangular object that is about the size of a microwave. And he pulls this thing out, and of course there's no gravity, but there's still mass, and this thing has some serious mass to it. Maybe he pulls it out and kind of glides it away, and it bangs against something. It is very heavy, and maybe he can move it himself once gravity is restored to the ship, maybe not. But taking this little power core and carefully transporting it takes time. This thing is heavy, as in has a lot of mass. And he doesn't want to damage it. This is the last chance Nakora and Petra have of getting the ship restarted. Bringing this power core back up through the mess past the sleeping Petra, Nakora barely even has the time to offer her a quick glance to make sure she's still breathing, which is becoming slowly more and more labored. Time is running out for both Nakora, Petra, and the second chance. We haven't seen this part of the ship yet on the show, but which is how I tend to imagine this as, is like a show. But as Nakora reaches the uh, aft, the backside of the mess area, there's this uh, metal door. It almost looks like a blast door or something like that, which uh, he easily opens and guiding this rectangular power core about the size of a microwave down this corridor carefully. It's definitely got a different vibe than the rest of the ship. Now, space truckers are not designed with comfort in mind. They're very utilitarian, but it's a little bit different vibe down this long connecting corridor that runs for 100 plus feet or like 40, 50 meters or something like that down the spine of the box, which is below his feet now. But if you have seen the first Aliens movie down in like the uh, like maintenance sections of the ship, the upper living areas are all whitewashed and clean. But down in the maintenance area, things are this exposed catwalk with big, thick, corded power cables and fluids and other miscellaneous things running on either side of this narrow corridor. 
definitely a different vibe and it's way too quiet in here compared to the normal noise that happens from being so close to the uh, reactor core and all of the atmospheric processing units and everything that lives in this aft section of the ship. The far end of this corridor, through another door, we enter into a very small maintenance area which like most of the rest of the ship is just various miscellaneous bits and bobs everywhere a couple tools it's not very well taken care of or well kept and this room connects through a uh, door with a universal radiation symbol on it into the power core itself now does nakora to gain access to any kind of override or controls or any kind of manual stuff that he can do without power to the ship, does he need to go into the reactor room, which then also provides access into the engine bays? I don't know. I do think it's very unlikely that he can do anything from here. Can he do anything from here? 92. Extreme no which tells me that not only can we not do anything from in here, but this is basically just a little room where maybe you have like the atmospheric processing and some of the very rudimentary basic items for the ship, but pretty much nothing can be done from here. It's just a place where you would theoretically have a mechanic on board your ship. It would make sense, but, you know, Nakora kind of does most of it himself, and maybe in the past that was kind of more Zari's role, was taking care of doing the routine maintenance on the ship. Nakora knows that, without proper radiation protection, entering into the reactor core when the engines are actually powered up and running is certain death, and this heavy, thick door with this radiation symbol on it is more than enough warning. However, the engines are dark. Perhaps there's been a chance for some of that radiation to cool and dissipate. However, the screen fades to black, and all that's left is this universal yellow radiation symbol, and credits begin to roll. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to One Guy, One Roll, the solo role-playing podcast. It means so much to me that you guys are continuing to support this podcast by listening and interacting on, on Reddit or on Discord. And as you guys know, my goal is to keep this podcast entirely ad-free as long as I am able to help cover the reoccurring cost, which we are almost able to do thanks to my two wonderful patrons who have decided to join the Solo Roleplaying Guild over on patreon.com slash one guy one roll. You guys are incredible, and I especially want to thank Journeyman Wes for signing up. If you are interested in joining the Solo Roleplaying Guild and helping to support this podcast, my ability to upgrade the equipment I'm using, including my potato computer, head on over to the Patreon, check it out. It'll go directly towards supporting this podcast. As always, I've had an absolute blast making this episode. Might have been a little less action-packed than usual for Nakora, but I think it was fun to really kind of dive into what makes the second chance work. What is the like mental state right now of poor Nakora, who's sitting at no supply, one spirit, two health, but a ton of momentum? This little side part of the expedition has been very interesting for me. Because if you remember, our entire goal right now is to just get to an anchorage so maybe we can get the ship fixed, 
pick up some supplies or even find uh, someone who can maybe fix up Subject Alpha. However, that's all the time I have for today. I've been your host, player, and GM Hero Acidities here on One Guy, One Roll. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day, and stay safe out there, y'all.